Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Hello, listeners. I'm J.S. Garrity. And I am Ludlow Adams. And we're here to explore fiction with you all. Today's topic, we're going to get a bit dark. We're going to discuss the darkening of fantasy and a little bit of the grim dark movement, but mostly why is fiction getting darker, particularly fantasy and, and sci-fi? And is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Are there lines? Are they being crossed? All things we'll touch on. So I think to start, let's go over the basics of Grimdark and its history. I'm not going to try and define it because it doesn't have a good definition. People are very, they have very different ideas about what Grimdark means. I think like, I think like any good movement, it, it, it lives in the now and in the moment and in the people who use it, as yeah, a, as, exactly. especially as a guiding stone. The history of the term grimdark, though, came from a miniature war game, Warhammer 40,000. and Warhammer 40,000. What did I say? Warhammer 40,000. Oh. It's a little different. <laughs> I was trying to say Warhammer. My mouth doesn't always do what I want it to do. But yeah, Warhammer 40,000. And its tagline was, in the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war. Yep. And from what I understand is originally the term was a negative thing. It was used pejoratively towards yeah. people who were being criticized for their dark yeah. fiction. And then the movement really began when they started taking that term back and called themselves grimdark or fans called things grimdark and changed how that term was being used. Yeah, I, I think we, we see that in so many different movements and so many different areas of life in that people are called something kind of cruelly or, or meant to be cruel and people end up co-oping it and saying, no, 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 this is now ours. Yeah. So, you know, that that's definitely a pretty normal thing. And I have to admit, I have been messing around with Warhammer uh, 40K, often just called 40K, um, for about 30 years. On mm -hmm. and off. So, yeah, I'm, I'm relatively familiar with it. Is the game Grimdark? how you, maybe you would define Grimdark personally? The setting is. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. the, the setting most definitely is. Um, the idea is it's uh, 40, literally 40,000 years down the road and humanity is ruled by this very, very, very tightly controlled religious empire um, that makes the excesses of the very worst uh, regimes in human history up to now in the real world look positively progressive. Mm -hmm. um, and it's being done that way because 
they really they feel like they don't have a choice. It's either that or humanity is destroyed. Right. Um, and it's a galaxy spanning empire. It has enemies all over the place. It's it's really spread out. It's not super tightly um, constructed, I guess, is the best way of saying it. So it's not mm-hmm. like human space isn't all together. It's it's spread out all over the place. Right. And that actually brings us to one of the points where a lot of people will say that Grimdark is, and that's people acting immorally or amorally. Yeah, yeah. The part of the premise um, that I think most people can agree on is that in Grimdark, characters are flawed. Mm -hmm. There's not really a clear hero or villain. Everybody's kind of a hero and villain all wrapped up in the same person and the argument for grimdark is that's closer to reality is that darkness is in all of us and while there are certain characters in our real world who we could point out and say that person is absolutely definitely a villain one of the most popular being hitler few people would argue that hitler wasn't a villain but the majority of people are capable of doing amoral and bad things and also capable at the same time of doing good things and trying to be a good person. Yeah. So realism, that's kind of at the core of what dark fantasy writers are trying yeah. to do. Yeah, I, I would say that um, in modern times, George R. R. Martin is probably one of the writers that most people are going to be more familiar with because of a song on a, uh, a song of ice and fire, which of course got turned into the game of Thrones television show. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything's a shade of gray. Absolutely. Everything. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I would argue that there's always been darkness in fiction, mm-hmm. you know, go back to Dante's Inferno and paradise lost. Those are actually pretty dark. Um, and yet there is some hope in that, in that darkness, um, even mm-hmm. in a song of ice and fire, there's still hope. Exactly. So I think that's one of the reasons it's, it's kind of effective and it's grabbing people's attention or at least emotions right now, mm-hmm. because, you know, there's all this terrible, terrible stuff going on in these stories. And yet there's still hope that you know, the average person is going to make it or a mm-hmm. something resembling a good outcome is going to happen. Right. I think a lot of advocates for Grimdark who don't just enjoy it, but say it's something that's needed. We need Grimdark and we need dark fantasy. Um, they argue that this light and hope that you get is so much more powerful when it's contrasted against something darker. It's a lot easier to see a light if it's darker around you. Yeah. Um, If everything is kind of halfway between light and dark, that light won't be as much of a contrast. And because of that, you get a higher emotional payoff um, with the characters and their emotional journeys And you also get more catharsis, which I think is really at the heart of what people enjoy about reading dark fantasy and grimdark fiction is that catharsis that we can experience 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, just to kind of, you know, bring this up, because there's going to be a listener out there streaming this at this point in time. Obviously, you know, the, the grimdark movement is much older than the term. Um, yeah. And and fan, fiction has been a lot darker or pe- there's been a fascination with darker fiction for a very long time as well. I mean, Absolutely. Edgar Allan Poe was was pretty dark, even Shakespeare uh, on occasion. There's some very so, dark themes yes. in his tragedies particularly. Yeah. Yeah, well, even as comedies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's been with us for a really long time. And I think that's part of human nature. Like mm-hmm. we definitely, we look for the things in the dark. We look for the things that mm-hmm. scare us. We, we empathize with them or, or something. I don't, I don't know that empathize is really the right word for it, but yeah, we're, we're fascinated by it at the very least. We relate to it on, on some level. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the evolution of the darkening of fantasy I and mean, grimdark didn't just come out of nowhere. Um, yeah. It's been around for a long time. Even the Bible is, I mean, regardless of whether you consider the Bible a true account or fictional, it's still a very, very dark yeah. text. The stories yeah. in there c- can be even darker than some of the things that people are complaining about on TV or in or in literature. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I, I would say that um, whereas cosmic horror is not necessarily grimdark because of the characters, um, I would say that most of Robert E. Howard's Conan stories are very, very well fit in the, in the grimdark or fit in the mm-hmm. grimdark very well. Um, yeah. You know, Conan especially is not a good guy. I, I mean, he's... He's he's pretty awful um, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. He might be the protagonist, but that doesn't mean he's he's the hero. I would I would argue that he's very much a, an anti-hero in a lot of ways. Yeah, an anti-hero that's been around so so long. Yeah. So this idea of flawed characters that don't have the traditional heroic qualities of a true like hero journey fantasy. That's not a new idea. It's just, I think, being taken to a place that previously people felt they weren't allowed to talk about. Yeah, I, I think that as we become a more progressive society, things like this are are getting talked about more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that really was one of the things Thomas Jefferson kind of foresaw is he, he was like, you know, change things and make things um you know adjust things even even the guys who actually wrote the constitution obviously jefferson is not one of them but madison washington you know they were like hey make changes as things um as society becomes more and more enlightened Mm -hmm. Uh, i think we forget that those things were done in the age of enlightenment well the point to all of that is that um you know as as our society changes, as society around the world changes, I think we're uh, we're we're becoming more and more accepting of darkness and and the fact that you know human nature has a dark side to it to some extent. I mean, there are certain things yeah. we should never accept. Obviously, um, you know, hurting children obviously mm-hmm. needs to never ever be acceptable. 
being able to explore this darkness though that that's really important mm-hmm. i think to to exploring who we are as humans yeah and even the the stuff that we should never accept as a society or as humanity those things still happen yeah and that's part of that realism aspect um the the opposing view of this is that grim dark is somehow celebrating Mm. those, you know, big no-nos, not okay, not acceptable, um, and glorifying violence and, and sexual violence, gore, that kind of stuff. Um, and then the, the question comes up of where's the line, right? Where's the line? When does it become too much the the rebuttal that supporters of the grimdark movement give for that is that it's actually glorifying violence to gloss over these more gruesome things when you just have a battle scene and all you get is the heroic moment where they're victorious the hero conquers all you don't really get many death um, moments in it. You might have like a, a character who dies and that is an emotional moment for our hero and kind of motivates and drives him or her. But when you don't have the battlefield strewn with bodies and you're showing just how evil and dark battle truly is then perhaps that is what's glorifying violence to completely ignore those things um which i think is a really valid point yeah like what does it really mean to glorify violence and glorify war and i think it's hard to glorify it if you're getting the cold hard reality of how bad it really is. Yeah. And, and I think that's something we definitely struggle with. Um, probably to some extent all through the West. Well, probably all around the world, really. But I think we, we really have an issue with that in the United States. Um, we glorify mm-hmm. uh, violence. We glorify the military. Um, and we, you know, as a, as a Marine veteran, that gets kind of frustrating to me because I'm like, well, what about, you know, what about those families that were destroyed because their loved one didn't come back or didn't wholly come back and, you know, has PTSD and a traumatic brain injury. And they're, they're completely different people than they were when Mm -hmm. they left. Um, And that we, we tend to ignore the human cost of a lot of different things. And so to some extent, it is nice to see that we are actually finally having some of these discussions and we need to. Um, yeah. So, you know, grimdark is not the only, or even dark fantasy or dark fiction is not the only way to do that. You know, we, we can learn a lot about these things through literary fiction as well. It doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be. Um, and yet at the same time, I'm really glad that we are starting to see it more and more. Um, Elizabeth Moon in the 80s or 90s, I'm not entirely sure when she wrote these, uh, wrote the 
stories or trilogy or so of Paxinari and Dorothy's daughter. Um, I may have gotten that wrong. If you're listening to this and freaking out, sorry, it's been about 30 something years since I've read it. Um, but she talks about that quite a bit and turns out Elizabeth Moon is a, um, a former Marine officer. She was a captain in the Marine Corps. Um, mm. and so, so she gets yeah, it. Yeah. She's seen it and she knows what it's like to be a woman involved in some of these, in some of these things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's good that we are exploring things. It's good that we are seeing the, the human cost of things. What I'd like to see more is the human cost after the battle. You know, we, we tend to focus, especially again in the West, mm-hmm. we tend to focus on the battle itself and, you know, how brutal that was or something. But what about what happens to the families? You know? Yeah. There was a comment, gosh, uh, years back that somebody had said that the, the real cost of war is violence against like women and children. And a lot of people were freaking out about mm. that. They're like, well, what about the men who die? And, you know, my thought to this or my idea about this is if the worst thing to happen to your family that you can imagine is you dying, you're a coward. You're not seeing yeah. the fact that a lost war can mean violence against your family, your daughters, your sons, your wife, mm-hmm. your parents, siblings. That's the real tragedy. Well, one of the real tragedies, let's be honest, you know, somebody not coming home yeah. whole or dying is also a tragedy. It's just, it's slightly different. Yeah. So yeah, it, it really bothers me when I see things like that. And I would like to see we as writers dealing more and more with some of those issues. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe if we did that, maybe if we dove deeper into grimdark or just dark fantasy in general, our our world might be a little bit more hesitant to use force when it isn't absolutely necessary. I, agree. I went much further afield on that than I thought I would. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it it's it's a important topic for you. Yeah. And I think that we need to listen to the people who who have been part of it, yeah. who have experienced it and what they feel is important to convey. Yeah. I mean, Tolkien, he wrote Lord of the Rings after going to war and without realizing that's what he was doing, he was writing about PTSD and the aftermath of these things. Yeah. You know, Frodo comes back at the a very end and he can't be the person that he was yeah. before his journey began. Yeah. He can't go back to that simplicity and carefree life of the hobbits he carries that that darkness with him still and you know it's a small thing but i think that tolkien doing that sort of opened the doors to fantasy being allowed to explore some of those those things where it's not just the hero wins in the in the end and everything's fine and dandy there's still some pain that lingers it's not happily after ever after yeah it, that can definitely get frustrating now uh, for our listeners i do have to point out i am not a combat veteran i was in the 90s and i missed everything and i'm pretty grateful for that um i was not until a group of vietnam veterans pulled me aside and were like we're really glad you didn't have to do the, the garbage that we we had to do or you didn't have to experience a lot of those things um it just makes me 
it makes me a lot more concerned about some really good friends and my brother who have all, you know, seen some combat and, and yeah, have gone through some of those things and, you know, it's changed mm-hmm. them. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking that it's something that we have to do as a society at all. And, and the fact that up until recently wars were, were glorified. Yeah. I mean, they were, and they were glorified by ignoring some of those darker themes. Yeah. And I think, you know, we did that with history too. And, you know, sort of moving on from grim dark specifically and, and talking more generally about the darkening of fiction. Um, I think now that we're accepting some of those things from our history that weren't so great, that were very dark and realizing that some of the things that we were taught and that was glorified when we were children weren't accurate or even true at all. Yeah. I think that is making people want to see every side of things. Yeah. You know, we were lied to, the wool was pulled over our eyes and now even when we're escaping into fantasy and literature, we want the whole truth. Yeah. We want to see the good and the bad. Yeah. Because that's what feels authentic. Yeah, everything has a human cost, you know. Absolutely mm-hmm. everything that we do has some kind of a human cost. The outward expansion, manifest destiny. Well, we destroyed we we destroyed culture after culture and and you know, people after people in order to do that. And those people are still struggling or their descendants are still struggling. And I think it it really took a toll on, on our nation in general. We just, we haven't, a lot of us haven't taken that into account or we're not, we're not holding ourselves to a, to a better standard. You know, every, every Mm -hmm. time somebody around the world says, well, you guys did this, our, the American answer should really be, yeah, and because we've been exploring that, we understand how damaging this is to people, you know, not just your victims, to you in the long run. Not to say that those yeah. pains are are anything remotely resembling the same, because um, they're not. So I think these things, we're, 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 we're doing in a, the modern world, I think we're we're doing reckoning after reckoning after reckoning of our of our world history and and our cultures, and that's one of the reasons we're getting some of the fiction that we are. Um, yeah, I think the internet as well, yeah, and social media gives us easy access to world events. Yeah. We're more aware of what's happening in the world than we've ever been before. Yeah. And that is revealing some really ugly sides to humanity that I think previously in countries like the United States and Great Britain and Canada, we were sort of closed off to that we didn't really quite understand. You know, we would hear the big stories, right? And we would hear those horrors and it was something that felt more rare yeah. because of how rarely we heard about it. Yeah. And now we hear about horrors every single day. Yeah. I mean, the war between Russia and Ukraine right now, I mean, I have a hard time calling it really a war. It's more of a 
an attempted genocide at this point. Yeah, it hit big news and it would have hit big, big news 20 years ago. But what we get now that we wouldn't have gotten 20 years ago are the stories of yeah. the real people who yeah. are being affected by this. The absolutely heartbreaking um, experiences of children and families who yeah. are being attacked and for no reason. Yeah. And being removed from their homes yeah and it just seems kind of silly to you know read things that completely ignore reality in that way yeah i've been reading oh go ahead no i i was just gonna say you know anytime you have a megalomaniac who thinks that that their way is the only way you you start walking down this path um and it's ugly. And so in this case, we have this guy who says that the fall of the Soviet Union was the worst thing to possibly happen politically to the world. And, I, you know, he, he's decided he wants to pull this together. So, of course, you know, we're not necessarily seeing it right away, except for maybe in some short stories and flash fiction. We're going to get novels that deal with these exact same issues in a fantasy or science fiction setting. And actually, to be honest with you, we have been getting them anyway, but these are going to be inspired directly by these events. And more explicit, I think, as well. Yeah. I've been reading Sally Rooney. Um, She's an Irish contemporary author. She writes, I mean, they're kind of like romances, but they don't fall neatly into that category because it's not the happy they end up together ending um in the strictest sense mm-hmm. um there's it's complicated like real life right um right. and the one i'm currently reading is called beautiful world where are you i couldn't remember if it was where are you beautiful world or but it's mm. beautiful world where are you and even though there's these you know two couples that the story is revolving around and they're sort of back and forth and the sexual tension and, and that romantic aspect. The true core and theme of the novel is how these characters try to reconcile how hung up and worried they are about these little things in their life when the rest of the world is suffering so deeply. And I think that's why people want to read darker fiction because it's really hard to reconcile. I am so worried right now about this person I have a crush on. And if I just embarrassed myself in front of them, but meanwhile, there's a family that is dying of starvation or there is someone currently in this moment being raped. And I'm worried about possibly embarrassing myself in front of a person who may not even matter to me a year from now. And yet this is one of the most important lessons of fiction is that life continues to go on. Mm -hmm. You know, your entire world cannot be about other people. To some extent you have Mm -hmm. to take care of yourself. You can't pour from an empty cup. Exactly. And And so, yeah, you know, these things may not be important in the global sense, 
they're incredibly important to those individual people. And and I hope mm-hmm. I hope we get more and more fiction that continues to deal with some of these issues because, you know, yeah, it is important. Yeah, you know, and those... I think, you know, it's it's a hard balance to strike as individuals. How much energy are we going to put into trying to make the world a better place mm-hmm. while still taking care of ourselves? Mm-hmm. And I think these darker themes in fiction allow us to explore that and process that from a safe distance where, you know, it's not going to have a permanent impact on our lives, what happens in this story, you know? And so we can explore consequences. We can explore that balance through something that is zero risk. Yeah. I had a thought and it ran away. And this is the neurodivergent part of our broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's gone. Okay. Well, let me know if you remember it. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the healing aspect of dark fiction because it, it does create the space for discussion and exploring consequences. And, and like we talked about earlier, that hope that's so much brighter when it's in contrast with the dark. But I think there's also this level of catharsis that is so important. And this is something that, you know, the ancient Greeks were exploring with, you know, the the birth of tragedy as a yeah. story form. And, the, you know, the whole purpose of that was this catharsis. And when, you know, some people might, who've never experienced these things, might be reading about sexual assault or domestic violence and think this is too much this is crossing a line this is not uplifting in any way but if it's done respectfully people who have experienced those things it can experience healing not just in reading it but writing it as well yeah there's healing that happens when we are willing to talk about the dark parts of ourselves without that fear of of just being completely silenced or rejected yeah i I, I, that's one of the things that kind of frustrates me is i think there is a segment of the population that thinks these things are an instruction manual well i mean to some people out there a lot of these things are instruction manuals they say oh well that's how the world should be you know, we should, we should rule everybody with an iron hand. We should do these things. And that's just ridiculous. And then you get mm-hmm. the people who are afraid that they are instruction manuals or that people are going to learn too much from these things. And, and my, my thought to this is people have lived through these things. You know, mm-hmm. it, it might not be an invasion of goblins with magic. It, it's, you know, a war or, it may not be somebody getting violated by the fae or a vampire. It's somebody who's been violated by, you know, a cousin or a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so as bad as these things are, people have gone through them. People have gone through worse, really. Mm-hmm. There's there's elements to fiction or to, to fact, to the real world, that we would never put into fiction because it's just too outrageous. Yeah. Um, and it wouldn't be able to be believed. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes, you know, people say 
there's that, uh, what is it? It's that line, a, a cliche or a, no, cliche is the wrong word. Another neurodivergent moment here where I can't find the word that I'm looking for, which happens all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, uh, you know, people will say that's too horrible or, or too crazy to not be true, right? Yeah. Like you couldn't have made that up. And, and people say that all the time. And that's, I mean, that's true. Like you can't make up some of these really horrible things and yeah it, it's all inspired by by real violence and real evils yeah in our world yeah absolutely which is really incredibly frustrating um mm -hmm. you know our our species is really good at doing some pretty horrific things yep um so let's talk about that question that people like to bring up when they're arguing against dark themes of where the line is where is mm. the line how graphic is too graphic at what point is it more triggering than helpful than cathartic right yeah. and at what point are we going to say this isn't something that people should be filling their lives with right yeah and that's a tough one yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, who who's to say the line for gratuitous is is the same for everybody? I mean, I I just it's don't It's not going to be the same yeah. for everybody. It just what won't. was What was that movie done like 20 years ago or something that showed this very violent sexual assault? The um the I mean, woman... I can think of a few, but I don't yeah. know how old they are. Yeah. Well, there was one where when the movie was being premiered, the actor, uh, the woman who is the victim in the movie, who plays the victim in the movie, her husband was with her and he was he was rattled. He was just so mm. he was just shattered by it, really. And, and she was like, you know, during the premiere or during a a sneak peek preview or, or you know, an advanced screening or something, she was telling him it's OK it's not real. It didn't happen. Um, mm -hmm. That's a tough one. And, and I think, I think those lines are going to be a little different for everybody. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. We get people now who are like, Oh, there's a, there's a content warning on everything, you know, and people say, well, you know, you, we don't need those. We don't need those warnings. Well, you know, for the last hundred years on the radio and on television, people have said this may be really disturbing to children or, you know, some variation of that. So we're just becoming more and more inclusive about those things and kind of leaving it up to people to figure out what's going to trigger those those issues. Mm -hmm. So those trigger warnings, I... I don't know. I don't know where that line is. I, I honestly do think it's going to be different for everybody. And, and mm -hmm. sometimes, unfortunately, you don't know until you get to the end of it. When that show, 13 Reasons Why, came out, I was very vocally against, against that. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't even specifically because they depict suicide. Um, there, it's not a fade to black. It's not a suggested that this happened. Mm -hmm. It's it shows it, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
because I, I believe they did have a, a trigger warning for that episode. Um, but what bothered me was the way they handled the issue of suicide, mm-hmm. where this, and it's, it's a flaw with the story itself, where this character is getting revenge on the people who wronged her through these mm-hmm. tapes that she's left behind. And that isn't real. That isn't realism. That's not what happens when people commit suicide. I mean, usually when they leave, the suicide letter is something extremely heartbreaking and so much anger and lack of self-worth towards themselves. Mm -hmm. And this idea that she sent tapes to people saying, it's your fault, I committed suicide. I mean, that's essentially the message that she's sending. I, I don't think it was a it was handled well. And I think Mm. that's where the line is, is not in how much is content is being shown or how gruesome or violent it is, but with how it's handled. Um, My little brother, when that show had come out, had recently lost a good friend to suicide Mm -hmm. and it came up somehow at at work um, and his coworker asked him, Oh, so which of the 13 are you? Were you? And it was <laughs> no. that that interaction is no. part of what started my very vocal advocate advocating for not watching that that show. Yeah. That's um, not okay. That, no. that like who who thinks that, that that kind of thing is okay? And I think that's one of the issues with all of these these things is we have people out there who are just callous. Mm-hmm. And are like, well, it's no big deal. Well, no, it yeah. is a big deal. It it absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah, Which is that's... why sensitivity readers are so vital. Yeah. So vital. Because yeah. if you haven't experienced it yourself, if you haven't attempted suicide or haven't been the loved one of somebody who committed suicide, you you can't know the 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 truth and the real behind it and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't write about it but it does mean that you need to talk to people who have experienced it yeah years and years ago um the wife of a friend was cheating on him and her boyfriend was not was like i can't i can't keep doing this and one day he took his house key off of her keychain And she ran out to his truck and pulled the pistol that he kept in his truck and shot herself. So watching my friend and a lot of the other people who had cared about this woman deal with this was just insane. It was Mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. For the most part, people were pretty supportive of it. Uh, not of the event, but of the of the people. Yeah. But I I can only imagine what some of the other people were saying to this to this guy. You know. Yeah. Were people saying things like, "Well, she got what she deserved," or anything along those lines? Because I'm I'm sure there was somebody out there thinking it. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, I mean, just again, the the coldness, the callousness of of human beings towards one another can be horrific. So yeah. somebody saying things like that is just horrible. Mm-hmm. I am not 
going to defend the show that you've mentioned. Um, I've mm-hmm. not even watched it. I think that when you do something along those lines, um, that might be what makes it so outrageous it can't be real. So That's true. That's true. You know, and again, those lines are going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I'll say is, you know, to, to duck back to gratuitous, just, just for a moment here, uh, Faye Kellerman, um, who has written, gosh, I guess dozens of crime novels that take place in the L.A. area, um, many years ago wrote The Sacred and the Profane. And ha- are you aware of the movie 8mm? Mm-mm. Okay, 8mm is about a snuff film that gets found in this guy's personal safe after he passed away by his wife. And so she gives it to a private detective. And the private detective has to figure out, is this actually real? Who was it? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty horrific. Well, this is a more... I guess, realistic version of this for that takes place in, I guess, the part of the 80s or 90s or something. So before the advent of internet, where you could probably film something like this, digitize it and put it up within an hour. Um, and it was horrific. Like I got to the end of the book and I'll never read it again. I read it 20 something years ago, 22 years ago, maybe. I'll never Mm -hmm. read it again. And I don't know that I'll ever read anything by Faye Kellerman again because it was so well done Mm -hmm. and it felt so real. And I felt dirty and ugly when I finished reading it. I was just like, this is horrific. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it was ever gratuitous. I think Mm -hmm. eight millimeter was probably a little bit closer to gratuitous because it's a movie and um, it was well acted and everything. It was just a little, there was a couple points that were like, huh, mm-hmm. why would you do that? But again, those lines are going to be different for everybody. Gosh. Yeah. And it's so hard because you might think, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to be fine. And then you get through it. Like and I got not. through those book <laughs> with that book and I was not okay. Mm-hmm. Like I thought I was going to be fine because, you know, at this point in my life, I'm a Marine veteran and, mm-hmm. you know, even though I'd never been in combat or anything, I was mentally tough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, yeah it was, it was horrific. It was horrible. Yeah. And people's lines are going to be different when they're reading a book versus watching a yeah. film. Yeah. I, I read where the crawdad sings and I don't remember it being difficult, um, in the assault scenes but when i watched the movie i had a very hard time um seeing the assault scenes depicted Mm. versus reading about it Mm -hmm. was a lot more triggering for me personally Um, and for some people even reading it is triggering yeah i think what it all boils down to is just try to be to be a good person with it. Try to have the right intentions with what you're yeah. writing. You know, don't use it as sensationalism, but yeah. use it because you're exploring the human condition and these difficult topics. Sure. And some people are going to hate it and some people are going to love it. Yeah. And I have to think that, you know, depending on who you are and, and personality things that 
you know, maybe a movie is triggering because of the visuals and the sound, or maybe the book is more triggering because you're imagining the entire thing. And so you're Mm -hmm. plugging in your very worst fears. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all I can say is if somebody out there is listening to this and thinking, you know, yeah, but how do I know? Life experience is how you know. You figure it out a little bit at a time. And if you get to something where you put down the book at the end and you feel kind of dirty, talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. Talk to somebody about it. Hopefully somebody who's got some empathy. You know, don't talk to your Mm -hmm. jackass friends. Don't talk to me. (laughs) It's really like I, I, you know, very, very little is sacred for me. And I've got a little bit of a mean sense of humor. Um, You sell yourself short, though, as as a person that's safe to talk to about these things because I've I've talked to you about things that I I can't talk about with just any person. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I'm 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 finally growing up. I'm 46 and I'm finally getting there. <laughs> I, you know, I think I might know how to how to do this life thing. Yeah. Of course it's as soon as you you think that that everything gets pulled out from underneath you. <laughs> But yeah, I think I think we need to change our perspective around dark fiction and treat it sort of the same way that horror is treated, where mm-hmm. people are like, oh, horror is just not my thing, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody has the different types of horror they like and the mm-hmm. different types they can handle. I think that we need to look at dark fiction in the same way, that it's just going to be different and... I think that's a good point. Yeah. I think something else to to keep in mind is just because you don't like it or you don't, or it makes you incredibly uncomfortable or something doesn't mean it's not worth somebody else's time. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Um, this idea that we're, we're protecting our children from these, these books that talk about these weird topics or something, not necessarily dark fantasy or dark fiction, mm-hmm. just everyday normal things. I think is are actually doing a disservice to the kids involved because they're not having the opportunity to learn some of these things before they have to muddle their way through it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's almost always better to learn from somebody else's experience, whether it's fictional fictionalized or completely real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go back to the whole reason behind stories, it's to impart information like that. I mean, yeah, you know, we've been humanity has been telling stories to each other for hundreds of thousands of years and Mm -hmm. so we are not uh, let me say this a little differently we're designed for it we're we're Mm -hmm. primed for stories having an impact on us yeah sometimes emotional a lot of times emotional but hopefully hopefully we'll we'll also pick up the lessons absolutely well thank you for joining us today on we're lying but that's okay we have been your hosts j.s garrity and ludlow adams and we'll see you next time thank you this has been we're lying but that's okay big thanks to our listeners for your support if you enjoyed this podcast leave us a review thank you to our one man production and tech support team max garrity for making this podcast possible